0: How does evolution work? Well, the basic process is that mutations occur. And every once in a while, one of these mutations causes some type of a benefit or new information to be generated. Then there's a selection process. And the selection process selects just for the new beneficial ones and eliminates all the other. Then over long periods of time, millions of years, through these new mutations and the selection process, new species can form. But is this what really happens in science? Do mutations and natural selection really cause evolution to occur? Well, I want to welcome you to Creation Training Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Rill, the founder and president of Creation Training Initiative. And today our topic is called Disarming Darwinian Evolution. We're going to look at the mechanisms that are supposed to cause evolution to occur. First, we'll look at something called mutations, and then we will look at natural selection. And I'd like to start with a quote from a biology textbook on how evolution occurs. And I quote, Darwin not only demonstrated that evolution has occurred, but also proposed its principal mechanism, natural selection. The key factor in natural selection is the environment the environment presents challenges that individuals with particular traits can better overcome. Thus, the environment selects which organisms will survive and reproduce more often. Mutation is the source of new variation. That's a quote from a biology textbook stating that environment, the environment actually selects the beneficial mutation. So let's look at or examine a picture that we commonly find in our textbooks talking about evolution or discussing evolution. What we're looking at here is a history of the geologic timescale according to evolutionists. And what we see on the bottom are the least complex creatures. As we move up this geologic timescale, we get more and more complex creatures. Now, what is often not mentioned or very seldom ever mentioned is that in order for this evolution to take place, something has to be added, and it is called new genetic information. That is very rarely even brought up in the evolution discussion, but it is a critical component if evolution is going to work. Where does new genetic information come from? For example, if we were to get a new arm, we walked out of a room and we had three arms. That is new, not, not new genetic information. That's just redundant information. But suppose we were to grow feathers or a trunk like an elephant on us. Now that would require a new set of instructions or new information because that does not exist in human beings first. Well, let's take another example. Suppose you just brought a brand new computer, and all this computer can do is word processing. And one day you decide, I'd like to start doing some graphic work, so I want to start doing some sign and draw pictures. What do you have to do for your computer to perform those graphics? Well, you have to add some new software. In other words, you have to add a new set of instructions or new information in order to do this new function. That again is a critical component of evolution. So the question is, do new mutations or do mutations add new genetic information? So let's start with what we know about mutations. Now mutations can be detrimental, they can be neutral, and they can be in some instances what we would call beneficial. Now what do we know about detrimental mutations? They cause disease, sickness, and death. And you know what we know about dead things? They don't evolve. So no, no evolution there. Then we can have neutral mutations. They cause no change, no difference. Therefore, no evolution there. So the only hope for evolution is the beneficial ones. But will a beneficial mutation allow for evolution to occur? And the answer is no. You see, in order for that to occur, we must have a beneficial mutation, incidentally it has to be random too, not a programmed one, but a random mutation that is beneficial, this creature must survive, and it must be able to reproduce itself. Here's the challenge to evolution. No one has ever factually observed a mutation causing new genetic information. There's been a lot of bluffing out there, a lot of incorrect information, but no one can factually show and demonstrate a mutation causing new functional genetic information. Let's take a look at some quotes from some scientists who work in these areas. The first one comes from three different scientists, and they have the degrees in physics and neurophysiology, and I quote, However, the fact is that no empirical research has ever shown that matter left to itself, is capable of creating universal information. It's never been observed. Here's another quote from a professor of genetics, and this man is a top evolutionist. And I quote, The typical mutation is very mild. It usually has no effect, but shows up as a small, get this word, decrease in viability or fertility. Each mutation leads ultimately to one genetic death. See, even the evolutionists that work in this field know this. Here's another gentleman who has his Ph.D. in genetics, and he says, Amazingly, there are still no known mutations which unambiguously create or add information, not even the ones that are considered beneficial. Now, here's another gentleman who has his Ph.D. in chemistry. It seems fair to point out that evolutionists have yet to provide even a single concrete example of a mutation leading to an increase of information as required. Now, here's another gentleman. He happens to have his PhD in human biology, and I quote, About 4 in 10,000 of no mutations are presumed to be beneficial. However, these are only beneficial in a very narrow sense since they involve a loss of function. Not one of these mutations unambiguously created new information. Are we seeing a trend here? See, the scientists know mutations do not add new information, not even the so-called beneficial ones. Let's take a look at one of the best ones that evolution has to offer. And we read this in our textbook that antibiotic resistance, in other words, bacteria become resistant to our antibiotics. There is evolution happening right before our eyes new information. Well, folks, that is absolutely incorrect. And we need to start getting back to teaching good science in our classrooms, not making up stories. See, what really is happening here when these bacteria become resistant to an antibiotic is that it comes because of a loss of protein functionality. The protein that carries that antibiotic in the system no longer works, so the antibiotic doesn't get in there, and it appears that we have developed a resistance. No, it is all due to a loss of function never a game. See, we need to start training our teachers how to teach science and get away from this idea of stories and fiction called evolutionism. Let's teach the science. And the question is, why are so many of these evolutionists really afraid of science? Because real science always defeats evolutionism. Now, let's consider something else. You see, one mutation isn't going to cause much change in anything. We have to have beneficial related mutations. So let's consider the probability of getting beneficial related mutations. For example, for a reptile to change into a bird, and this is what they teach in our schools, folks. Believe it or not, they're teaching reptiles like dinosaurs evolved into birds. In order for that to happen, there have to be many beneficial related mutations. Just changing scales into feathers does not create a bird. You see, the whole internal anatomy has to change, and they really don't talk about that in the classroom. It, they're just talking about, oh, feathers came from scales. You see, what has to happen for a reptile to change into bird First of all, we have to have the feathers. We have to have primary and secondary feathers so it can fly. We have to have a change in our lungs, change in the heart, change in the circulatory system, change in the bones, and many other changes. This does not happen by one mutation. This requires many beneficial related mutations in order for an ape-like creature to change a human being. And now we know that in our DNA we're well over 10% difference there's well over 10% difference in our DNA between ape-like creatures like chimpanzees and humans. Folks, 10% difference is about 200 million differences. That does not occur by one mutation or two mutations. So what is the probability or possibility we're gonna get more than one related mutation? Well, first of all, for mutations to affect an organism's descendants, they must first be or occur in the cells that produce the next generation. And secondly, they have to affect the hereditary material. So just a mutation doesn't work. It's got to be a mutation in the right area. So that eliminates many of the mutations out there right there. Now, how often do mutations occur? Well, they're said to occur every one in 10 million duplications. That is 10 to the seventh power, or one followed by seven zeros. That is one in 10 to the million possibilities. Well, this is not enough to make any real change. Remember, we're trying to get from a reptile to a bird. Again, that is scales to feathers. The whole internal anatomy has to change. Well, what is the possibility of getting two beneficial related mutations then? Well, that happens to be 10 to the seventh times 10 to the seventh power. And when you do this kind of arithmetic, we add the exponent. So that would be 10 to the 14th power or one chance in 100 trillion. That doesn't look very likely that that's going to happen. But see, two beneficial related mutations is not going to make all those changes. It's not going to be enough to change an ape-like creature and a human being. Not even close. So how about the possibility of getting three beneficial related mutations? Well, that happens to be 10 to the 7th times 10 to the 7th times 10 to the 7th. We add the exponents and we get 10 to the 21st power. That is one chance in a billion trillion attempts. That's not going to happen, folks. And that still isn't going to make much of a difference. Well, let's go one more. What's the possibility of getting four beneficial related mutations? Well, that happens to be 10 to the 28th power or a number that looks like this, one followed by 28 zeros, folks. That's not going to happen. There's not enough time in the history of this universe for that to really occur. You see, there's no way to get a reptile to change into a bird or an ape-like creature to change into a human being. And mutations, don't forget... Do not add new genetic information that has never been observed. That's just a story that is presented by evolutionists and cannot be backed up by empirical science. Well, now that we've looked at mutations, and we've seen some major problems here. Mutations don't add new information. Our our public education system are using textbooks that present wrong or false information repeatedly. Teachers are not being trained in real science. They're being trained in evolution. So let's turn now to the second mechanism called natural selection. How does it work? What is it? What is the selection process there? Well, let's start with Charles Darwin. What did he have to state about natural selection? And let's read a quote from him in his book, The Origin of Species. And I quote, It may be said that natural selection is daily and hourly scrutinizing throughout the world every variation, even the slightest, rejecting that which is bad, preserving and adding up all that is good, silently and insensibly working, whenever and wherever opportunity offers. Well, folks, right there, Charles Darwin gives this natural selection process intelligence. And you know what he said the intelligence was? The environment. He's telling us environment. the environment has intelligence. Well, let's turn now to a life science textbook and see what they have to say about natural selection. And I quote, Over a long period of time, natural selection can lead to evolution. Helpful variations gradually accumulate in a species, while unfavorable ones disappear. That doesn't tell me a whole lot about natural selection and how it works, folks. That's what you would call a very Fuzzy statement. Now, let's turn to the American Museum of Natural History and see what they have to say about natural selection. And I quote, "'Natural selection is a mechanism by which populations adapt and evolve. It is, in its essence, it is a simple statement about rates of reproduction and mortality. Those individual organisms who happen to be best suited to an environment survive and reproduce most successfully.'" producing many similarly well-adapted descendants. After numerous such breeding cycles, the better adapted dominate. Nature has filtered out poorly suited individuals and the population has evolved. Notice the words, nature has filtered out. Again, they're giving intelligence to the environment. Since when did rocks or dirt or heat or cold get intelligence. You see, the whole idea of natural selection there is a very silly idea made up by the evolutionist. See, when we talk about natural selection, there are two things we first have to consider. I will call these two facts about natural selection. Number one, natural selection never adds anything new. And secondly, natural selection can only, if it did work, select from what's already there. Now, get this now. Natural selection does not add anything new, and we've shown that mutations don't add anything new. Right there, folks, evolution's dead. The whole idea of Darwin evolution is dead. It has no mechanism for the change. Well, let's look at an example of natural selection now. Natural selection, according to evolutionists. Now, I take this example from the University of Berkeley off their website, and you'll see the pictures up here. We have a circle where we have brown beetles and green beetles. So we have a population of brown beetles and green beetles. But it just so happens the birds have a hankering to eat the green ones. So the green ones are a little more tasty. So they're eating up all the green ones. And over time, the green ones get less and less in population. And the brown ones continue to reproduce and become a greater part of the population. Then over time, the green ones will just fade out. In the entire population will be just brown beetles. And they say that is evolution. Right there on the University of Berkeley, their website. That is an example of evolution. You know what I have to say about that, folks? Baloney. That has nothing to do with evolution. And any scientist should know that. What happened there? All we had was a shift in population. What did we start with? Green and brown beetles. What did we end with? beetles. There, there was no new information added at all. We started with brown beetles. We ended with brown beetles. The green ones just happened to be eat up, eaten up. That has nothing to do with evolution. You see the problem we have? We, fo- we forgot about teaching science today. We've got so entrenched in promoting this thing called evolutionism, we forgot about good science. Now, let's examine natural selection a little bit closer. Let's look at the words. What does the word natural mean? It means caused by nature. Natural processes, without God, without man. Now, what does the word selection mean? It means there's a selector, which implies intelligence. So what we're talking about here is a process that works through naturalistic processes that has intelligence. The question is, what is this intelligence. Darwin thought it was the environment. Many of our textbook authors also say it is the environment doing this selection. Again, I didn't know rocks had intelligence. I didn't know the dirt we walk on has intelligence. I didn't know hot or cold has intelligence. This is not science, folks. This is unscience. This is terrible science to be teaching this in the classroom. So how does the process really work? Well, let's take a look at this picture here. Natural selection. See, the environment is something we get exposed to. The environment doesn't do any selection at all, folks. It's an inanimate object. So the environment doesn't do any selection. We get exposed to the environment. We get exposed to hot climates, to cold climates, or high altitude. Let's say, for example, We were to go to the top of Pikes Peak in Colorado, 14,110 feet high. Now what would happen, the first day you're up there, you start running around, running all over the place. What's gonna happen to you? You're gonna get very tired, possibly even very sick due to altitude sickness. Why is that? Because the atmosphere, the air is very thin up there and you're not used to it. But if you stayed up there for several months and then start running around, nothing's gonna happen. You have adapted to that environment. Now the question is, what allowed you to adapt to that high altitude, that thin air? It wasn't the environment, folks. It's the information that's already in your DNA. That is what we call pre-programmed information. Somebody pre-programmed that information into your DNA so that you could adapt to hot climates, you could adapt to cold climates, you could adapt to high altitude. The the atmosphere doesn't do any selection at all, folks. The altitude doesn't select. The thin air doesn't select. The dirt doesn't select. All we do is get exposed to these environments, but it's something that's already in our DNA that allows us to adjust. So what does this mean? Well, let's look at one more statement by an evolution on natural selection. And this comes from a professor of evolutionary biology. And I quote, Natural selection is a very simple natural mechanism that explains the appearance of design in living things. Now, wait a minute. Natural selection is what accounts for all the design in living things? I thought God was the one who put all the variability into living creatures. He is the one that created all the design. You see, Natural selection doesn't do that. It's really a creator God. So what is natural selection then? What is it really? Well, According to evolutionists, here is what natural selection is. It's an artificial mechanism designed by man to replace the power and intelligence of God. Did you get that? It's an artificial mechanism designed by man to replace the power and intelligence of God. In other words, according to evolutionists, nature produced all the design in living creatures, and God did not. So we need to be very careful when we start agreeing with evolutionists, especially when we're asked the question, do you believe in natural selection? If you say yes to that, you've just done away with God. You've just told that evolutionist God had nothing to do with it. It's the environment that created all the design. That is a very serious issue. So how should we answer the question, do you believe in natural selection? Well, let me tell you how to answer that. We will answer that challenge, that question, by asking three questions. Question number one, when we're challenged with, do you believe in natural selection? Or somebody uses it in a statement, you need to stop them right then and there and ask this question number one, What is it that natural selection actually does, and how does it work? What kind of a question is that? Well, that question will cause the other person, probably the first time in their life, to stop and think about what they're really believing. See, they've never been challenged on this. They just accept it, that natural selection causes evolution, without ever thinking. Wouldn't it be nice for a change if we could bring back critical thinking into our school systems? So what is it that natural selection actually does? and how does it work? That is question number one. Then we will ask them question number two. Selection implies intelligence. Who or what is actually doing or causing the selection? In other words, who or what is your intelligence? Now, the evolutionists have two choices. Now, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter which one they choose, they're in trouble. Number one, If they choose the environment, they're in trouble because they just said inanimate objects, that rug you walk on, the dirt in your backyard, has decision-making processes? Folks, that's not science again. Or they might say it's the information in our DNA. Even though that is the correct answer, they're in big trouble. Why? Because of question number three. And here is the big question. Can you show me any observational evidence for where the vast amount of information in our DNA came from without requiring me to use faith? Did you get that? We're asking for observational evidence or they're requiring us to use faith. Why is that such a killer question? Because the evolutionists cannot do that. All they refer to is over millions of years it happened, folks. No one has ever observed millions of years. No one's even observed one mutation causing new information. So in other words, the whole process of Darwinian evolution is not a fact. It is not a theory. It is a faith. We should not be using the term natural selection because it says there's no creator God. He did not design anything. So what should we call it then? Well, here's what we're going to start calling it. We should start calling it, and be careful with the word I'm going to describe. I'm going to tell you what all this means. The words we should be using are engineered adaptability. Now that sounds pretty fancy. Engineered adaptability. What do we mean by that? Well, engineered means an intelligent designer. Just like a bridge is engineered, homes are engineered. Somebody had to create this. Somebody with intelligence had to create that. So what we're saying here, instead of natural selection, we're saying engineered adaptability. In other words, intelligent design took this took place here. We needed an intelligent designer. In other words, we were created by God with a purpose. That's what we mean by engineered. And then we have the second word called adaptability. This means we can adapt. We can adapt to hot environments and cold environments. In other words, if you were to go up and live in Iceland, you would adapt to that. If you were to go to live in Death Valley, where it gets to be almost 115 or more degrees in the summertime, eventually you, you would adapt. You may not be comfortable, but you would adapt to it. You will survive. It means we can adapt from our sinful nature to become more Christ like. It means we can adapt from our self centered ways and respond to a Creator God. It means we can adapt from our bondage and sin to become free in Jesus Christ. It means we can adapt to a new set of rights. As we read in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received Him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe Him in His name. And finally, we can adapt to our new citizenship and become heirs with Christ. And we read this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have new rights we can adapt to. We have a new citizenship we can adapt to. And then we read this in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Folks, we can adapt to our environment physically, but we also adapt to a new set of rights and a new citizenship. What a wonderful thing it is to understand God's creation and His truths and not be bound to the false teachings of evolution. Thank you, and God bless all of you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.